Okay, this is the Joe Orange Show podcast. My name's Joe. Um, starting this because uh, I wanted to chronicle my journey. So I'm a. I'm currently trying to break into uh, back into tech as a machine learning engineer, and been retraining. For a little bit and right now I'm taking part in Sharpest Minds which is a mentorship geared towards uh, machine learning and data science. And right now I'm currently working on a project uh, for this mentorship and before I get to that uh, I think it's a, a good thing to note is that the purpose of this is to chronicle my journey, uh, the day-to-day journey. So I plan to do this for at minimum the next 30 days in a row. And it'll be varying lengths. There's no predetermined set. I'm just kind of going with the flow, getting a general outline of where I am, the work that I did the previous day, the work that I'm doing that day, and any complications that I might see or that I could possibly think of that might arise. It's in a way, so my mentor, um, I've been doing bi-daily. So every other day I've been doing a daily stand-up and as a way to, one, to monitor so you can monitor my progress and to bring up any concerns that I may be having. And I've found these to be, even though they're very... Um, they're relatively short, uh, just a few bullet points describing things. It really helps to get my mind oriented in such a way so that I can better plan what my next steps are. I have a tendency to jump into things before having a plan, and I want to spend a little bit more time up front making sure I understand where I'm at and where I need to go or what I need to do to get where I want to go And this is kind of expanding on that topic or that, that subject concept. And that being said, we'll re dive into this project. So it will be the primary focus for now will be on this project and it will be on uh, each day will relay what I did the previous day, what I plan to do that day, and any blockers that I see coming up. And down the road, because I am looking for a job as well, I'm working, looking for my first job uh, within the machine learning slash data science space, I will also uh, be talking about some job search related subjects. Uh, at the beginning, it probably be more focused towards the project, like I previously mentioned. However, I, as I get closer and closer to completing a project, I will probably be talking more and more about the job search. Because if there's one thing that I found transitioning into this field, that there is a plethora of resources oriented towards helping you build the skills to get into it, but there isn't anything quite, there isn't anything out there that I've found that relays a story from the other end, you know, the person that isn't in a field yet. So this is hopefully, 
I mean, the, the primary purpose is to help me chronicle things, but hopefully um, if somebody else out there is having a similar experience, then they can learn from my mistakes, basically, and uh, avoid any pitfalls that I almost inevitably will end up in and overcome uh, or figure out uh, a crafty way to address. That being said, uh, I'll give a little background about my current project. So I am very, very dissonant or getting ahead of myself. I'm very interested uh, in disinformation and that since 2016, um, there's been a lot of attention or increasing, exponentially increasing amount of attention paid towards disinformation, particularly uh, with entities um, like the internet, uh, the Russian Internet Research Agency, and now uh, what we're seeing with regards to Chinese state media um, shifting and and trying to control the narrative around the COVID nineteen pandemic, its origins, um, and generally trying to make China appear in a uh, better light. I guess you could say. That being said. I created a project uh, that dealt with internet research agency tweets, uh, use deep learning, use fast AI, uh, their deep learning library to distinguish the difference between verified tweets and um, internet research agency tweets, which was pretty cool. So I, I wanted to combine this machine learning slash data science with disinformation because I think um, with how prevalent or with how chaotic this space could be, especially since a lot of it is online. Um, there's a, it's a major distribution channel. I do believe that, um, you know, machine learning and deep learning um, can be used to help us combat it. And um, I'm not, I'm still trying to figure out ways how those two worlds can collide, but I think it is worth exploring. Um, especially with, in, pitch, in particular, with regards to what's going on around natural natural language processing, which um, is uh, uh, working, which deals with working with text. And um, the one hypothesis that I have that I'm really kind of, I, it's more of a hunch, and I don't know. Uh, this, the, this may be truth. This may might be a lie, but I think one of the underlying features about disinformation is yes, sure, botnets can be automated. There's some automation, there's automation going on. However, with content, particularly, you know, the, the engaging content, um, it's all created by humans and humans have, we all have patterns um, that we exhibit. And some of us know these patterns more intimately than others. And there are patterns that no matter how much introspection you do, um, you're going to exhibit certain patterns that you will not be fully aware, made aware of. Our subconscious minds are extremely powerful. Our habits are um, extremely powerful as well. So I have a hunch that, you know, when it comes to content and figuring out uh, 
whether or not content is disinformation, we could also find or detect patterns from particular authors of disinformation. And um, it'll be interesting. And uh, this is an, a totally unproven hunch, but that's the hunch or hypothesis, I guess you could say I'm proposing right now. And we can use deep learning to figure this out um, and figure out the tendencies, because I think that's something while my experience within the field is still, I'm relatively new. The thing that it kind of strikes me right now is it's, there's a lot, a lot of work and a lot of great work being done to address it and to search for it, but we don't really have any preventative measures in place for this. And I, I get that, that that's the creating something that can deter this and, or detect it before it arises and is incredibly complicated. And there's probably a lot of smart people at companies like Facebook and Twitter that are trying to figure this out. Um, however, it takes, I guess, many hands on deck, right? So it takes a lot of us working together to figure that, figure out this problem. That being said, apologies for my disinformation rant. Um, the next step, this project that I'm working on, um, because I have that, uh, I'm a little bit more comfortable dealing with um, Twitter data, and I'm not quite sure of another way of grabbing data from other social. I don't know if there's publicly available APIs. I could be wrong to access data on Facebook and things along those lines. Plus, there's the ethical concerns. It feels weird. Um, Twitter is also kind of a gray area. I admit that. Uh, however, um, it is technically public data. And the important thing to remember is that, uh, I mean, this is their terms and terms and services uh, states that you're not allowed to share this data. So I won't be sharing it. Um, however, the data that the historical data, at least that I've been acquiring um, or utilizing is from Panacea Labs. So Panacea Labs, let me double check. Uh, I believe they're with, uh, let's see, um, Georgia State University. And they have a uh, data set right now. Let's see, software and data sets. So let's see, let's see. Panacea Labs. So Panacea Lab, there we go. So they have a Twitter data set um, for research purposes. And uh, they've had a roughly, I'm, I'm using their clean data sets that they've uh, released. Uh, and they released it every two days. And right now, so they just recently released version 7.0 and it has all the daily data until the 25th of this month. So April 25th, and they're at 230 million tweets. Uh, that does include retweets. So that needs to be taken into account. Um, 
their clean data sets uh, do not include the retweets. So those are the ones that I've been using. And I think that uh, trying to detect original content is more important in this particular context uh, because I think with, with, with regards to, I could be wrong, but with regards to things like retweets, uh, you need it. It's more important to detect the connections or like, the, I guess the trail of retweets, right? So you have the original tweet, tweet A, right? Tweet A gets retweeted by person B, then person C retweets tweet A, C, D, E, F, G, all the way through. So that connection, that's going to show you more, um, that's going to give you more information, more data uh, than the actual retweet itself. Uh, that's just another hypothesis. I definitely need a, that, that's a hunch that I have. Um, so that would definitely need to be, I need to look more into that. But at the moment, I am currently utilizing the clean data sets because of that reason, um, because original content, in my opinion right now, uh, relays more information or is, is more relevant uh, for the this project. And I just realized I haven't, hadn't mentioned the, the project idea. So the my Sharpest Minds project is trying to build or I'm building a tool that can detect um, in real time or near real time uh, cases of disinformation on Twitter. So uh, I guess another thing to clarify here is that uh, the, the, this distinguishing between uh, disinformation and misinformation. So these two terms kind of become entangled and uh, I think, so misinformation and disinformation rely, or it, it's kind of rooted in the intent, right? Um, and so misinformation is incorrect or misleading information, right? And then disinformation is false information deliberately and covertly in a lot of ways um, to influence, uh, sorry, false information that's deliberately used to influence public opinion or obscure the truth. I'd almost say that or disinformation is a type of misinformation with a particular intent. I, again, this is kind of a gray area I, from what I've read. Um, I could be wrong. Uh, however, I think it's kind of fair to say that we can lump disinformation under misinformation, but we need to realize that they are two different things. So misinformation is kind of a spin, right? It's, they're, they're, it's a story that's put out um, with spin, right? It's trying to... Uh, relay information about a particular event in such a way that now I'm, I'm kind of realizing as I talk about it, that it, it, this is here. 
this is, I think, a better way to, uh, to look at it is misinformation is misleading. Disinformation is a damn lie. So notice the emphasis there, right? The di distinguish. So they're, they're, they're part of the same. They're kind of like cousins in a way, I guess you could say. Or maybe aunts, uh, uncle, cousin. I don't know. Um, there's an interesting interchange between the two. And then you add in the complexity of disinformation being around uh, uh, the fact that they do actually, uh, purveyors of disinformation will actually um, kind of attach a shred of truth to disinformation. So it's not completely 100% incorrect. Um, it's a complicated issue. And it's something that I obviously, from what I can just tell is I need to think about a little bit more. Um, however, when it comes to the prop back to the project, another tangent, uh, when it comes back to uh, this project that I'm doing, it's in summary, it is trying to detect instances of misinformation in real time on Twitter. Uh, so the tool that I envision creating is something akin to almost like a Chrome extension in a way that is able to, as somebody is scrolling through their tweets, I haven't really thought about this is something I should think about. It's not high priority, but uh, I mean, most people use Twitter on their phone. Um, so that's something to take into account. However, uh, as you're scrolling um, through Twitter, um, this extension essentially is able to check the text and is able to, one, even determine if it is related to COVID-19, okay, or the coronavirus. And if it is, it is able to um, determine if that information is reliable or not. Um, how I'm going to do that is still to be determined uh, as I am in the, the current stage that I'm in for this project is in the, what I guess you could call the ETL stage. So it's getting data. That's the, the primary thing. The first step, I guess, first big step that you need to overcome is uh, getting data for your project, right? So Luckily, um, Panacea Labs is publicly available, and um, I'm going to be sure to, uh, I mean, credit them. So, again, I will put, I'll do something to make sure. I, I'm not sure if I'm doing this crediting right, but Panacea Labs, uh, Georgia State, they have a GitHub. Um, maybe I can figure out how. To better do this going forward <laughs> so i need to just know that i'm giving full credit to panacea labs at georgia state uh, for their work um, i am only doing the research thank you so much for putting it together um, it is amazing and twark which is a library um, and all that i'll talk about later um, maybe not today but another one uh, we'll see anyways thank you Panacea Labs for the work you're doing. There's actually other entities too as well that are doing similar things in terms of gathering Twitter data related to COVID-19. 
and uh, you all are doing fantastic work. And this is something that is, I think, incredibly important for um, research purposes and determining how not only how uh, networks affect the distribution of information related to this pandemic, but also how uh, things, narratives are being controlled, manipulated, um, and dis how disinformation is being distributed related to the virus and from who. And I think it'll be important or it brings up good questions about how we determine what content deserves to be recognized and labeled as accurate versus uh, information that is labeled as false or incorrect or potentially misinformation slash disinformation. And in addition to actually the ability of state actors on platforms like Twitter and Facebook to be able to present alternative, <laughs> quote, air quotes here, alternative facts uh, about COVID-19 and their ability to do this on platforms that they've banned their own citizens from. And this is, uh, a, uh, this is not my original thought. This is Vanessa Moulter, who was part of the Stanford Internet Observatory. She uh, there's a recent article I read of hers, uh, and uh, they do like Stanford Internet Observatory do like live. Uh, Alex Stamos, uh, the director, he um, has been bringing on people uh, to talk about various instances and events centered around disinformation. And Vanessa's work focused on China specifically and what the state media is doing. Um, around the COVID-19 narrative. And it is an interesting question to pose. It's what, it's why, how can you say that, how can you allow state media that bans their citizens from being on a platform to use said platform to broadcast a message? And it brings up some, it's a clash between uh, revenue generation and ethics in, in a way. And uh, that'll be a question for another time. However, moving on. So we have my project, uh, which is to build a tool that detects misinformation on Twitter in real time. And we have data, which is Panacea Labs. Now that ETL process. So I'm using Google Cloud right now i'm getting familiar more familiar with it and uh i'm trying to figure out a way to automate this data ingestion process so the extract transform and i'm going to check to make sure that i don't say it right or say it wrong okay extract transform load etl and it is, the definition is the general procedure of copying data from one or more sources into a destination system, which represents the data differently from the source or in a different context than the source. So what Panacea Labs does or how their data, how they um, 
make their data publicly available is via GitHub and they have a repository on GitHub. Um, I believe it's named COVID-19 Twitter. And they, every two or so days, they're updating it uh, with TSV files, compressed TSV files that uh, contain tweet ID. So this kind of goes back to, I think I said it earlier, uh, that the terms and services do not allow for complete data sets of Twitter data to be publicly released. So, but because they're public domain, I believe this is the reason, because they're public domain, uh, tweet IDs can still be shared. So each tweet on Twitter gets a unique identifier and it's uh, composed of, uh, I, think, I think it's about 12 characters, 12 or so characters, uh, digit characters long. And you're able to, so you have the the IDs of the tweets and the, the data sets that I'm working with have roughly approximately per day about a million IDs. And this is from Panacea Labs clean data sets. And with those tweets, so you have a text file, right? Um, of a million tweet IDs. Okay, how do we get the, the information for th these respective tweets? We only have the IDs for them. So we'll, how do we get the text of it? How do we get the, the metadata attached to text, to favorite counts, to user information, like when their account was created? How many followers do they have? Um, when was the account created? Uh, other things related to the tweet, like hashtags or URLs, or if there's pictures, there's a lot of metadata that is attached to any given tweet. And um, to get that, we have the IDs. So we, now we need to figure out a way to search for those IDs in as an efficient way as possible. And that is what I found right now, uh, or I'm going, I'm planning on using is Twark. And I actually have been using it, but now I'm trying to figure out how to automate this. So the process right now that I have set up is I have a script that, or a Python script that it goes and grabs the data uh, or it cloned, originally cloned, and it checks if the repository still exists. It checks um, for Panacea Labs, I cloned th their repository and it checks for updates. Then any um, it compares the daily folders. So the folders include all the, the dates all the way going back to the 3rd of March or 22nd of March, apologies. And they, for each day they have, like I mentioned, the TSV file, which contains the tweet IDs. So I have that cloned repository at Panacea Labs. I update it. And then I compare it to the folders that I already have in my local or my GitHub repository for this project. So it compares the daily folders between my repository and Panacea Labs repository. And any days that it doesn't have, it creates the folders for that respective day, then creates the necessary text file 
which I'll get to why we need in a sec, and produces the text file from the, the compressed uh, GSV or TSV file. And it does this with the, with the help of pandas, which is very, very useful here and does it very, very quickly. And it converts those t compressed TSV into a TSV via pandas. And it, um, because the data uh, needs to be formatted a little bit better for twerk, it formats it to just include the IDs. There's no index and no headers. So after it's, after this uh, TSV is then edited, it is put in as a text file in my local repository. And the next step is trying to figure out how to get Twark to look up these text files. So I have text files for pretty much every single day, but I only have uh, data, tweet data for a few particular days that I used or I did manually and uh, enter it, entered in the command line code for Twark um, manually via the command line. So now I need to figure out how to take that next step after making the folders and getting the text data, the tweet ID text data, and then putting that text data or the tweet ID text data into Twark. So then it can, what it, it calls it is hydrate the tweets. So hydrating the tweets essentially is taking those tweet IDs and then looking up that tweet ID and then getting, so each uh, tweet object is returned as a JSON pretty much. And it has different fields uh, and there's subfields as well. It's very long, many, many different uh, meta fields or API meta fields that we can grab. Um, Okay, so I made the mistake of uh, not reading the subtext. Apologize. Uh, so this is in two components. I accidentally got cut off. So with Anchor, what I'm using, you can only record for up to 30 minutes in a web browser. Uh, I need to take that into consideration going forward. So anyways, where I left off is I was talking about the tweet JSON and Basically, Twark. So Twark needs to grab the tweet JSON, or Twark hydrates the tweet JSON, which contains a bunch of different meta, meta fields for a tweet, right? So a meta field for a tweet is things like created at, when was a tweet created at, the full text, uh, favorite counts, other things related to the user you can grab. Um, there's a plethora of options. And uh, we don't need for the, 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 my project specifically, we don't need that much data. We don't need all of it. So Twark hydrates the tweets. So it looks up, it, what hydrate means is it looks up the tweet ID. And then with that ID, it searches for it and then returns the metadata, right? Um, and these are returned as dictionaries, essentially. And dictionaries are basically object Python objects, or they're 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 ways to store data 
that have themselves contain multiple, I guess, subfields. So a dictionary can contain uh, a field such as favorite number, and then it can contain a list attached to favorite number that contains a list of five numbers, right? And then it can contain another field like strings or like uh, jokes, for example, which can contain a list of strings that are of jokes. So it can include both of those in that same dictionary. And it's same for the tweet. So each subfield, so like created at full text, favorite count, user um, account, creation date, all those things are fields within this dictionary. And or I think it's technically called a tweet object. I guess that's what Twitter returns it as. And we only need, I think there's a 14 fields that I have. I'll, I'll have to list or I'll have to take out the list here in a little bit. Uh, there's 14 fields with the text obviously being the most important. And uh, we need to figure out how to automate that. So we have, right now I have a script that is, or backtrack. I have a script that can get those text files, get the tweet IDs, and then, um, so it checks for the repository, for Panacea Lab repository, compares the daily folders of my local repository against Panacea's repository, and then it, oh my gosh, I'm, oh, it checks for any changes in Panacea's repository. And if there are new daily folders, it adds those, whatever daily folders are not in my repository, but are in Panacea's, it adds those to my repository, then grabs the text file from the compressed TSV file. Pandas is extremely useful for this, converts it into a text file. It eliminates the index, it eliminates the header. So it's just literally, I mean, the tweet IDs vary in length, but they're roughly about a million tweet IDs. So you have a million tweet IDs. So now using the next step is to automate twerk to hydrate those tweets. This is where the, the kind of the roadblock is, is in the past or what I've been using twerk mainly the form that I've been using twerk with or in is uh, via the command line. So it's relatively simple. It's a, a twark. The command is twark, and then you put in the text file, and then you put in a greater than sign, and then you put what, well, what, at least what I've been doing is the name of the text file, but with a dot JSON file extension. So it, it grabs those. What it's going to do is going to grab the tweet IDs from the text file hydrate them, and then load them into a JSON file because they're in JSON format. So the question is, how do I run a command line command in Python? And one cool library, one promising library is subprocess, which looks like it might allow me to do that. So I need to figure out how to get that to function 
And then the, the, the next step is uh, we need to figure out how to address the time issue. I, I don't know if we're going to be able to necessarily break down or reduce the time Twark takes to hydrate the tweets because it has to go through a million tweet IDs and there's rate limiting involved uh, because you're working with Twitter's API and you can only make so many calls per an interval time. So it takes about two, two and a half hours to download a day's, roughly a day's worth of data. So if you're looking at by daily, so every other day, Panacea Labs is updating their GitHub repository. And so you have two days worth of data that you need to collect or hydrate. That's going to take you about five hours. So this brings into question whether or not, because I'm doing this on Google Cloud, this brings up the question of whether or not I should um, combine the two. And or not combine the two, but uh, if I should create a dedicated instance on Google Cloud, uh, a dedicated virtual machine compute instance, uh, I never know what to call them. It's virtual machine compute instance. Are they interchangeable? I'll use them interchangeably going forward, or at least for this one. And what uh, do we do? So do we dedicate a compute instance strictly for this? So it is going to run. So right now, I think, take a step back. The compute instance or VM that I have right now set up is a high memory one because these files, these JSON files are about 3.5 gigabytes. So they're, they're big and it takes a little bit more memory than, you know, your normal machine to deal with them. And I have a high memory VM and this, it costs a little bit more and also it is preemptible. So in order to reduce costs as much as possible, I make this, it's, title or named explore the explore vm high high memory but it's preemptible so that means if google cloud needs the resources that is devoted to this instance it will take them so basically i'm lower on the priority list but it significantly reduces the costs of running a vm however that being said i need to what what about the possibility of creating a vm that's lower memory, you know, good enough in terms of getting the data. Because right now that's the most important part is automating that data gathering process, right? I can clean it up here. That's kind of a, I don't want to say nice to have because it's required as well. Um, but acquiring the raw data right now is priority one. So why not create an instance that runs this script. So takes in the text IDs and hydrates the tweets, produces the JSONs, and then subsequently loads it into Google Cloud Storage, right? So loads it into the bucket that I have for, for the JSON files. Because then I could always use a high memory instance to then go back and clean it but you need the raw data at first. So I think that's worth looking into once I get a script working. And also this takes, it brings up the question of trying to get, uh, or trying to use 
or setting up cloud schedulers. So it's uh, from my knowledge right now, cloud schedule uh, GCP's cloud scheduler will allow me to turn on this instance if I do decide to go that route, have it run the script. So basically it's going to run for five, six hours gathering the two previous days data. And then it uploads the JSONs to the Google Cloud and then it will shut off. And then subsequently it will run 48 hours later or technically 43 hours later after it's done. So I need to look into that. But those are next steps. The the first step we need to take is getting that script to work, period. So it needs from start to finish, it needs to uh, update the Panacea Labs repository and then compare the daily folders that I have in my local repository to Panacea Labs. Needs to, any days that it doesn't have, it needs to convert the TSV compressed, compressed TSV files into a text format via pandas into my local repository. And then it needs to take those text files and hydrate the tweets via Twark, via the subprocess, I believe, library. Hopefully we'll make it work. And then it needs to upload that JSON, once it's finished, upload that JSON file to Google Cloud Storage, uh, to a bucket in Google Cloud Storage. And then after that, we can look into cleaning the data, if so be it. But getting the raw data now is the most important part. So that's the first step or most important priority. I think today, I guess today, it the priorities or the steps that I need to take is build a function for Twark using subprocess or using a combination of Twark and subprocess. So using subprocess to call or use a Twark command line command because that's how I've been using it. I haven't been using the Python module version. It seems kind of, it's. I tried experimenting with it the other day. It, I was having issues with it. And that's more so not about the library. It's as it is about my skills or lack of, or my uh, amateur, but my building or developing skill set. There we go. That's a better way to put it. And once we're able to automate that, then we need to, after upload the JSON to the Google Cloud Storage bucket. So I think that's, so automate, create a function for Twark, create a function with Twark and subprocess that automates this data gathering process. And that might be, okay. So it needs to check if the JSON's in there too. So if the JSON's already in the folder, then it doesn't need to pull it. But I mean, it's being its new day, that's just kind of a check that I need to think about too. So that's that being said too, um, I do have the data from the 27th. So I need to do a little bit of EDA or start some EDA of that and potentially apply previous text processing techniques that I had or that I've developed a few weeks ago when I was working with data that I used or acquired via Twint, 
the Twint library, which is another Python library that deals with Twitter. Um, okay, so review number one. Uh, work on developing a function that combines Twark and subprocess to gather tweet JSONs or daily JSONs, and then to create an EDA or exploratory or yeah exploratory data analysis um, notebook, Jupyter notebook uh, on the most recent data that I have. So that'd be the twenty seventh of April, and. After that, I'll touch on the last component, which is a job search. And as a preface, I will proportionally talk less about the job search at this point in time because I'm more focused on the project. However, it is good to address. So first thing I need to address is um, building my skill set. So that's uh, I'm doing following along with the intro to ML course offered by Andrew Ng on Coursera. I need to work through the notebooks that I have. So even though the course is in MATLAB, I was able to find a Jupyter notebook version of it. And I need to run through each one um, and make sure that I understand the concepts that are in each one. And after that, so that's gonna help in terms of the theoretical knowledge. So it's, Interesting in that the interviewing, so you could produce a project, but you still have to interview, and then the interviewing process is somewhat difficult. Uh, so it's kind of you need to develop a skill set for not only for the data science slash machine machine learning, like you know the, the the applied, but you also need to build that theoretical knowledge, which I guess as I see it now makes sense. Um, but it is a little bit kind of over it can be overwhelming. So that being said, uh, the job search. So I am taking a different tactic. I'm reaching out directly to who I think would be hiring for these roles. So um, not going to necessarily apply via job boards. So it's going to take a little bit. I don't necessarily get the same. I won't be sending out the same volume, but I'm hoping quality over quantity here. Um, and that way I actually get to focus more on like, what type of company do I want to work for? Who, who do I want to work for? What type of mission do they have? Um, instead of just hoping for a job, um, because, you know, it's, I'm, my goal isn't to work for, uh, a company that I don't want to work for, obviously. Um, I, if, if I don't align with the mission, necessarily or at least with the culture uh it's going to be hard to work someplace and you know hey you only live once i want to make this life as good as i can so i need to work on that as well so a good goal for today would be to um because i'm creating a job pipeline so it's there's obviously uh, you know the law of large numbers is another uh factor in this and uh you're not going to be the percentage for no matter what route you take, whether you take the job board route or the more direct approach of contacting people who are hiring for, you know, ML or data science. Um, you're still going to have to apply to a lot more jobs than you're going to get, than you're going to hear back from. So it's, you still need to apply to, you know, a good 
number of jobs. And I'm building a job pipeline, kind of like a sales pipeline. So I'm building up a repository of potential jobs that I'm interested in with contacts that I think would be suitable to, to contact about the job. And I am going to reach out to them and via email and LinkedIn, I'm going to try those two tactics and see what happens. So that being said, I need to, I think a good step would be to add one job and one contact or with one contact and then uh, compose a draft of an email. Okay, my brain is kind of on the fritz now. Been talking a lot. I feel I feel tired. Not tired. I feel complete. I feel satisfied with what I've said for today. I need to figure out a different way to end this, but I think it's appropriate time to wrap things up. So that being said, I guess carpe diem sees the day. That's what I'm going to go do, and I hope you do as well. If you listened all the way to this point, thank you so much for listening. Um, I hope something was useful. Uh, I hope my uh, my difficulties and roadblocks are going to help you avoid any difficulties and roadblocks that you may be having. And yeah, carpe diem, seize a day, seize your day. Um, Joe out.